Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. I'm your host, Lindsay Pritchard-Fox. And today with me is Maha and David Harper, co-founders of Atlas London. Um, and Maha and David are focused on unlocking the power of connected construction data. Welcome, Maha and David. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Lindsay. Hi. Thanks for having us. And you guys are in the UK, so we're going to hope that we have a really good signal. But we'll turn the screens up if we don't. So far, so good. The weather's good. Yeah. <laughs> Now, uh, tell us a little bit about your background in uh, construction and how you're connecting construction data. Well, I'll, uh, I've been building hospitals now for about 20 years. So I started off at the UCL in London working on the internal fit-out package and then sort of gradually worked my way up from you know project coordinator to project manager to project director and then to client representative. So I've worked on, I think, about 14 different hospitals now. And these are, you know, anything from sort of ward refurbs to, you know, 1,400 bedders, you know, big, uh, big hospitals. Uh, you know, I come from a project management background. I've got a master's degree in project management I got from the University of Westminster. And uh, yeah, that, this has been my life, you know, building hospitals essentially all around the world. I worked in the UK. I've worked in the Middle East uh, as well and Africa. So I kind of... Uh, you know, I've been around a bit. So that, that's my story, building hospitals. David's very modest. He's, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, he's, uh, you know, I think uh, our, I always say to everybody that our secret weapon is really David, you know, because, <laughs> you know, you can, you can build, you know, the, the greatest, sexiest tech in the world that's out there. And, you know, and a lot, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff that's being built that is wonderful. And, you know, um, you know, very uh, attractive, you know, nice tech. But if you don't really understand what it is that the customer wants and how it will be adopted by the customer and whether it's going to be adopted by the customer, then you're just really building, you know, you're building great tech. You're not building that must have solution for customers. And I think that's really our secret sauce is, is, is David because, you know, he understands uh, you know, what will be adopted in this industry, what is attractive to customers. And um, I think that is is a big, big plus for us, which we're, you know, pretty lucky to have that. Um, I'm the boring part of the duo. I'm a, I've got my background. I'm a lawyer. Uh, I've got a business and a corporate background. I spent the last 20 plus years um, doing corporate transactions, M&A, a lot of real estate transactions. So I do know the real estate environment very well. Um, a lot of cross-border stuff, international, uh, did, you know, spent 10 years in-house and then uh, was general counsel for a variety of different um, outfits, family offices, and a publicly listed company as well. So um, yeah, we have very different skill sets. Well, and so we, you know, we're, we became friends, I would say, back in the fall of 2020. And I saw a snippet of your tech, which is amazing. So Atlas London, if you guys could tell us a little bit about that, because I don't want to skip over actually how awesome that is and why you're on today is to kind of say this is really happening in construction. And it's it's like almost here. Well, um, 
Three, two, one. Go. Okay, yeah, he always makes me do this part. <laughs> um, all right, so just to give you, try, try and give you a quick overview because I do talk a lot. Um, so we started Atlas for really a number of reasons, you know, so our industry experience in healthcare construction was obviously, you know, one of them. But we also realized that by pioneering this sort of what we call a newer method of delivering hospitals and medical facilities, we were really helping to deepen uh, the reach of healthcare services around the world. And given that 50% of the population uh, of the world's population don't have access to healthcare services, there seemed to be a real, you know, need for that. And you know, adding on to that, the fact that no one else in healthcare construction, in particular, was really providing that integrated um, solution for the delivery of hospitals, also went a really long way in, um, you know, validating what it is that we were doing. Um, so, so I guess the easiest way to explain it is our software, our platform really provides what we call the levers of control. This is David's, um, David's uh, thing that he always says. It provides the, the levers of control that monitors and tracks the flow of data um, on a construction project, and as well as providing that environment for integrating the design and the delivery and the supply chain. Um, and so we always say, we call it sort of the the glue and the translation layer that enables that really seamless integration um, and communication between all the different software stacks. And the key point really is, you know, the translation. So we've developed a very smart architecture to deal with that, that enables the software stacks. It's not only that handshake, but enables them to speak the same language, essentially. Well, yeah, I mean, so I've been to Autodesk University for a number of years. The first year I went was 2018. And the general theme, my informal theme was, we should have BIM, building information modeling. And then I went in 2019 and it was, okay, so we have BIM, now what do we do with it? And where I really kind of uh, was astounded by what uh, the Atlas London was doing was saying, you have these very complicated structures that need to come together and in ideal scenario, you're providing uh, healthcare to areas of the world that do not have access to healthcare. And generally, building in those environments is very difficult. So you take a very difficult type of structure, a very needed structure, and you're building in in a challenging um, on a challenging site. So having uh, this platform meant that you were kind of integrating all the cool things I was seeing in. Oh, wouldn't it be cool if we had in the Autodesk uh, University world, which is, let's say, generative design, mobile applications, transferring of information seamlessly from, you know, the design team to the project field team. And what I thought was so cool when we first met was that David had built these structures without these tools. And knew firsthand, and I think we all, I mean, we kind of had a laugh of like the horror stories that do, that exist in the, in the manifestation of these structures and how important that getting them right really is. Uh, so the Atlas platform is, is, is leveraging all these really great tools and innovations in a very complex environment. That's the idea. It, it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if you think about if you think about, about the most difficult buildings that you can possibly build, and you're looking at you know nuclear power stations, for instance, 
where the safety element is just off the chart. Um, military bases, another one, you know, um, but in, certainly in, in the sort of, uh, you know, in the civilian context, it would be hospitals because it's a critical environment. You know, you go to hospital to get better. You go there to, to everything is sort of built around a positive outcome and everything's very highly regulated. So if you go into an operating theater or a treatment room, you know, the, the, the devices, the systems, the components, their sort of relationship to each other, how, how many of the, each of them there needs to be, um, the circuits they're plugged into, all of this is very regulated. You know, it's, it's determined by standards, essentially. And it's all built around people. And we haven't changed in the last, you know, 200 years. I mean, we've got slightly bigger, so the corridors and the hospitals have got slightly bigger, but, but we haven't, you know? So it's the proximity of these devices to the patient that supports the, the, uh, the care models and, and supports a, a positive outcome. So it's, uh, you know, it, it shares a lot in common with, with other building types, but when it comes to technology and when it comes to the sort of critical nature of it, if something fails, something could go badly wrong, someone, you know, might not have the outcome that, that, that they wanted. In that context, you know, you have to be really, really on the ball when you're building hospitals. But the thing is that people have got used to now, okay, you get a budget for a hospital and people expect it to go over by 40%. You know, this is just the, oh, you know, oh, you're building a hospital, fine, it's going to take three or four years longer than, you know, the, the program, you know, that we agreed on, and it's going to cost X amount. And this is putting off, especially in, in developing countries where, where this is really, really badly needed, you know, that the healthcare infrastructure is on its knees in many of these places. You know, people are looking for time and cost certainty. They're looking for a solution that is well thought out, where, you know, if, if they put the money in and they support and they invest in that, they're going to have a positive outcome and they're going to affect the lives of many people positively. So that's really what we're trying to do is put four corners around the, the time and cost as much as we can. And in order to do that, you have to have the, the digital strings attached. You have to have a very, very clever system that hooks everything together and uh, you know, makes it much easier to deliver these, these complex buildings. And it's not to say that you know, using our platform is going to eliminate you know, all the problems that normally happen on a, you know, uh, when, you, when you are trying to build a complex structure like this. But the idea is to give that component level of visibility, you know, to the project team or the project owner that will enable them to identify risk at the earliest stage and manage those risks um, as soon, you know, as soon as possible. Um, and I, I think our solution is a very, very, you know, our, our platform is a very, very good solution for that. I mean, yeah, like you can't go into these environments without predictive measures, you know, getting supplies to uh, the, I mean, you can talk about the locations that you're hoping to have these facilities built in. Like, it's not like, oh, yeah, just call up Home Depot, get some yeah, yeah. high force sent over. That air handling system, yeah, no, it's on a shipping container that gets stuck in the Suez Canal. Like, that's exactly. <laughs> We have to be able to like mitigate those challenges in order for this to like really find success. And I think that's where you guys have really put a lot of your energy. Yeah. And, and modularizing as well. You know, you, you're, you know, you can't just sort of phone up, like you say, and get an auto depletion system like that, you know, or get a, someone to braise your medical gases. You, you can't do that, you know, in, in many of these environments. So it's about modularizing as much as you can and the real complexity in the hospital really when it comes down to it, when you walk through the corridors and the rooms in a hospital, you're seeing lots of flashing lights and lots of devices. 
but the real complexity of what is what happens above the ceiling and how that's coordinated and how that is put together, you know, being able to, to, to you know, zone systems, to valve them off, to have a way of delivering the building, but also to operate it effectively. So if something does go wrong, you can isolate the system, you can, you know, you, you can take corrective action. So uh, yeah, you, there's a lot of thought that goes in right at the beginning when yeah. you're, you know, and the client needs to know what they want as well. You know, the operator needs to be able to tell you, listen, this is what we're using the hospital for. Yes, and that's and your I, stake in the ground. That's the thing I will say all day till I'm blue in the face that visualization is as underrepresented or undervalued in the construction industry. I would say mostly because if you had two separate sources of like, here's your construction documents and here's your vis visualization source, uh, there was no, there was no um, accountability built in. Like you could draw pretty pictures of what you wanted the room to be. Uh, but there was a disconnect on accountability to actually have it manifest that way. And especially, I would say, in those facilities that have those complex systems that are hidden uh, behind the ceiling uh, tiles, that, that, yeah, all of that is underrepresented. And to have a, a platform that's mobile friendly, that can be on the construction site, that can assist in driving that facility coming together piece by piece, um it's so powerful mm -hmm. yeah no i think you and david are definitely on the right. same page when it comes to visualization because he he you really always talk about that well uh, well it's kind of well otherwise if if you can't visualize it in a way that builders can utilize it and and really sort of um use that to inform their work then it's just words on a page or it's 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 an abstraction of what should actually be there and you know one of the main frustrations, you have this a lot in your world as well, is that the design, a lot of the information and a lot of the, the richness and the data exists within the sort of design silo, if you will. And it's getting that across the various other, uh, you know, um, functions, your commercial function, your installers, you know, your, your commissioning engineers and so on. And getting it across in such a way that they don't have to sort of wade through submenus and drop menus and get frustrated and go back to the project office and half a day is gone. They've got it there in the palm of their hand. And soon we'll get to a point where, you know, if you have a, a, a mesh uh, network in place, then the system will know where you are. It will know what package you're working on. It will know what area you're working on. It will be able to bring that information to you without you having to spend too much time looking for it. I believe in a few years' time that that's the sort of logical, one of the logical steps where, where BIM is going. So it's, um, yeah, we're, we're taking account of all that. And it's logical at the end of the day. This isn't sort of pie in the sky. It's, it's logical. It's, it's very hard work, especially when you get down to the sort of file exchange formats and the, the minutiae of it. But it's, uh, yeah, it's doable. Yeah, so doing it. Right. One of the best conversations that ever go on in our office are conversations between David and our CTO. They're brilliant, right? Because, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I sometimes, you know, I like to just sort of come in and, and listen, you know, to what they're saying, because, you know, David's got sort of his very sort of, um, you know, he's, his project experience. He understands, of course, the tech and, you know, data and all of that, but he's uh, his big experience, of course, is, you know, the largest experience he has is on the project side. And then we have our CTO, who's the real techie. And then sort of those, the marrying of those two brains is really beautiful. I love it. <laughs>
Well, it is. And I've talked about this with uh, Vicki Reynolds, who is uh, also in the UK, and it was uh, the difference between digitization and digitalization. It's, um, it's not just uh, creating a, a digital platform that is mimicking your analog sheets. Like, so the example is if you have construction documents that are on a piece of paper, and now you have a PDF of that document. But if you're trying to run a project through that and try and run all of the um, facility and the um, utility and all of the things that needs to go, that go into a construction and in, into a building through just like basically a PDF reader, it's not going to do much for you. So creating a, a digital platform that allows a common user to comfortably navigate, making buttons very accessible and like, you know, this is what you need to do to confirm that this is where this goes, you know, just making that really big um, is, is that difference between just the conversion to actually, I would say, evolving. Yeah. And it's, it's also sort of the intelligence layer that you add on to that too, right? So our sort of, you know, obviously we're digitizing, you know, um, the process, the, you know, the platform, uh, the process through our platform, but it's also, you know, we're trying to do it through intelligent automation, you know, and so, you know, it's really important to add those layers of intelligence. So as we develop the platform, you know, it'll go through its first iteration, its second iteration, its third iteration, as we work out, you know, all the bugs and inevitably, you know, that we're going to need to work out, we'll continue to create those additional layers of automation, you know, data translation, machine learning, you know, all of the stuff that makes it into a really intelligent platform. Yeah, and, and that's, and, you know, like, like you mentioned about the, the, um, the digital twin, in, in a, a digital twin in a hospital would really come into its own if you had digital strings attached to the medical equipment, say, for instance. And then you could start to understand how groups of medical equipment, uh, you know, work together, whether they work well, whether they don't, how often they need to be sort of recalibrated and um, how often they break down, how often parts need to be replaced, you know, over the life cycle. And that will inform your buying decisions, especially- Bidirectional, David. Bidirectional, there you go. A novel concept for construction. Information <laughs> <Okay. laughs> going that and that way. Yeah, so David's referring, I was really excited because the UK um, UK construction buzz just uh, launched an article talking about uh, is the digital twin going to be able to provide the answers to achieving this net zero emissions goal that uh, the world is taking on. And that means having information go into the construction of the building, but also having a basic a, a conduit out so that the building can report back post-construction where to find efficiencies. And I'm so excited that this article came out because our construction process is so analog and these goals are so big. And if we're not leveraging technology to build in those efficiencies and those tools, then I, I honestly don't see how we would get to any of those. Um, that's yeah, that's a great point, actually. It, yeah, it, it, you're after this, can you send us that article? <laughs> but you're absolutely correct. And if we are, as an industry, construction and buildings, if we are responsible for 40% by most estimates of CO2 emissions globally, we will have to demonstrate that we are operating within a certain 
with, within a certain level, you know, with, within a certain uh, bandwidth, as it were. We will have to demonstrate, if we want to be awarded contracts, if we're builders, contractors, whatever, that we can deliver projects as close to net zero as, as possible. And in order to do that, then we're going to have to have the, the digital infrastructure to, to support that, to, to, to demonstrate, okay, our, this, is what's, this is how much our supply chain is generating. This is how much our on-site activities are generating. This is how much waste we're generating and so on. So the, the days of sort of taking a bit of wood, chopping the bit off you need and using that and then chucking the rest in the burn pile or skipping it, they will be over. You, you simply won't be allowed to do that. Agreed. And it's, um, it was a really exciting article and they were, uh, and then you can kind of, kind of dive a little deeper about uh, what other information about this building matters. And I thought it was, so in the US and Texas, there was a huge cold front that came in. Yeah. And the houses there don't have insulation because they didn't need it. And it was just this kind of like aha moment that was, oh, actually our entire energy consumption would be improved if, if we did have this alternate standard. But with an analog system and making those changes is very difficult. Yeah. And it's, you have to inspire uh, the construction industry and the people in the construction industry to want that. I mean, things came to a total standstill there for a while, didn't they, in Texas? It was mm -hmm. a few days of just, yeah. Yeah, and then we've got the pandemic that's slowing down the shipping of resources so that the home construction is slowing. That's all something that, you know, is replicated in the commercial and then, uh, you know, large-scale building environment. So it's, it's really, we're just, there's been a lot of pressure points that have been instigated by this pandemic that are highlighting. And one of them I think is air quality, and especially in hospitals, is that, you know, we're starting to pay attention to like, what's the filtration system in our schools? What's the filtration system in our hospitals? What's that fresh, over, fresh air turnover? And that's where leveraging technology takes this, you know, unstructured data and actually like helps you change things. Yeah. No, yeah. That's true. And, and the regulators, I think, will fall into line as well. And rather than you having, you know, to wade through 300 pages of standards and, and text, I can, you know, I think that things will be much easier if the regulations themselves are actually delivered multi-formats. So delivered as a model, delivered as something that you can import into Revit, you know, something that has geometric data and properties and attributes attached to it. So that you know you you have it there. It would take a lot of the um, a lot of the uncertainty out of that. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully we'll get there. But I will say what's interesting is that uh, I wanted to share with the listeners that Atlas London, you are a startup, and you have gone through the startup process. And I thought it'd be really great if the listeners got a little you know, what'd you learn? Where could you have done better? You know, let us have it. Right. We're going to write a book about what not to do when you're a startup. And it's going to be a pretty long book. Yeah. Every, every mistake we've made along the way. No, I mean, I can, you know, I, it, you know, in, in the spirit of being sort of as upfront as possible, you know, I completely understand now. I never used to get this. You know, people used to say to me, oh, you know, investors really want to invest in founders that have founded companies before. And I, I'd always be like, okay, but 
yeah, I get that. I get that a lot uh, now, you know, because as founders, you really sort of tend to fall in love with your solution, right? And you, this is your baby. This is, you know, and you've, it's like a diamond that you're sort of, you know, chipping away at and you're looking to see where the best shine is. And, you know, and you pivot left, you pivot right, you have eureka moments and you really sort of get into sort of obviously what you're doing. You have a lot invested in it in, in, in every way. And that's wonderful. I think founders need to do that. They, you know, you need to be in love with your solution. But I think, you know, as first time founders, we were a little too focused on that, too focused on sort of that versus, you know, okay, what are the benefits of this? You know, how, what is the return on, of investment, you know, for our customers uh, on this? Not, not investors, but for the customers themselves, you know, when you're selling, you know, the software to them, what, what are they going to get out of it? And why is it, you know, for every dollar that they spend on this, how many dollars are they going to save, you know, type thing. And um, once we started to focus a little bit more on that, first of all, the ROIs were a lot bigger than we even thought, <laughs> you know, that they were. And so, you know, that was a really happy outcome. And then, you know, the discussions that we started to have with customers were getting to be a lot more productive. And that's not to say that you shouldn't focus on the big picture and, you know, your solution and what you're doing. But, you know, I just sort of get now, you know, if you're not a first time founder, you probably look at everything from a sort of multifaceted view earlier in the process than we did. Mm -hmm. What were the first steps that you took to find some outside capital and what were your partnerships that you developed? So I would say in the last few years, we have focused on developing mostly partnerships with our software partners. Um, and so, and that's been, that's been really great because that's been a real validation of both our concept and our vision. And, and, and that's been amazing. I mean, so far we are bootstrapped. Um, and so we're, we've put in, um, you know, we've invested our own money into the company, but we are, you know, we are um, speaking to different investors. We now have a pretty exciting prospect with a strategic customer slash investor who has a pipeline of projects that they're building in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, 14 of them. And um, I think they're, you know, they found us, which was kind of nice. <laughs> um, and they sort of, they, they said, you know, we saw what you guys are doing, you know, can we have a conversation? And that really, David and, and their CEO really clicked and they've had, you know, some amazing, really productive conversations. Mm. And, you know, this is, a, in some ways, it's a sort of pinch me moment because it's almost the perfect profile for us. You know, it's someone who understands the built environment, someone who understands tech very well and, you know, has access to capital. And you know that is a pretty happy marriage, all mm. in all. And someone who understands this, they have they're sophisticated. So they built projects, many projects before, and they understand precisely, you know, how our system can help reduce RFIs, can reduce change orders, you know, can streamline the supply chain. They see uh, they see the benefits of that very very clearly. So you're not sort of having to explain something from scratch. They already get it. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, we'll 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 see how you know that pans out, but it's it's looking pretty it's pretty looking pretty good, pretty exciting, and um, you know, it's nice to sort of um, you know interact with um, a customer who really gets it. And David's always said, you know, our sort of investor, our capital, our you know, will will come from. Uh, someone with this sort of profile who really gets the benefits of what it is that we're doing. 
Well, right, because you got to follow the source of the pain. Yeah. Exactly. When, you know, <laughs> so when we first became friends, David and I, like, you know, I'm focused on the pain points in uh, residential construction. David had already gone through all of them in the healthcare. <laughs> 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 so now you've got a, a strategic partner customer that uh, has seen all the inefficiencies and really is recognizing the, gosh, how do I say this politely? It's like, there's 30% of capital that goes into construction is wasted. Yeah. So, you know, I've heard a lot of people saying like, oh, it's the ROI on digital uh, adoption. And I'm like, well, seeing as how we're throwing away 30% of our capital, like, isn't, you know, a 10% improvement, a significant improvement. Yeah. And, uh, and that's sort of what kills me about like what the ROI is. And when you're going to outside the construction industry, or, uh, you know, a startup and you're trying to raise you, I think that there is assumptions made about the construction industry that are, that are actually very false. And you'll have to like explain that. And I, my example was I went on a trail ride and the young woman who was guiding us said, uh, oh, what do you do? I'm like, oh, digital construction. She's like, what? I'm like, well, we build a structure in a digital environment before field construction. She's like, oh, well, yeah, I would imagine that's what everybody does. <laughs> <laughs> well, please, how every other industry that needs to manufacture a product is doing that. Um, I can understand why that assumption. I, I love, I love the look on your face there. That's so funny. That's pain. <laughs> yeah. You don't know whether to be happy or unhappy by that comment. I don't know. <laughs> But it, it is interesting to go to outside of the industry investors and try to explain just how analog the construction industry is. Yeah, and, and that's one part of it. You know, the inefficiencies and the length of time and the cost, uh, you know, the cost overspends are one part of it. The other part, you know, is the frustration. You know, if you've been on a big job and it's gone to arbitration and then it's gone into litigation, and you're spending, you know, millions and millions of dollars on the dispute resolution process. I mean, that really, really brings it home. These things drag on for years. And all of a sudden, as a member of the site team, you're, a lot of your time is taken up sorting out these problems, you know. And this is the, what we've done in construction, we've never actually, we've never actually addressed the inefficiencies. All we've done is built this really fancy sort of dispute resolution environment to deal with the, the fallout of the inefficiencies. We haven't actually- the problems are so big. Yeah. What was wrong in a building? Yeah. <laughs> it's not a car accident, you know? There's, there's not a, you know, a forensic audit. And to do that type of thing in, in, on a building, yeah, I totally agree. It's just, the, just the, it's such a large perspective that it's difficult to even digest it. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I don't know, I mean, if you've, in your experience with what you're doing, you know, if you've had a lot of pushback from within the industry or, you know, but, but, you know, people like to do things the way things have always been done, you know, and they may sort of intellectually realize on an intellectual level that, yeah, that does make more sense, or that is a good idea. But at the end of the day, you know, no one's ever going to get fired for choosing, doing, choosing to do things the way that they've always done it. Right. But the, the sort of, you know, the, what do you call it? The, 
I guess, people who break out. What do you call that? Well, there's the risk reward. You know, it's hard, it's hard to get people to jump on that bandwagon, I think. Um, and we're, you know, we're like, you, like you said, we're a startup and sort of, even though we think what we're doing is innovative and exciting and, you know, definitely the way the industry is going and is the way that hospitals will be built in the future. There's no doubt uh, in that, um, you know, that's why it's good to develop these partnerships with sort of big enterprise because they give you the credibility, mm -hmm. right? And so that's, that's um, I think what startups have to do too is sort of uh, have that marrying of, of the startup world with the enterprise world, wherever that sort of fits. And, and one of the issues with digitization, one of the biggest challenges is adoption. Like Maha says, you know, actually getting people to use the software and that will come in at a contractual level. So if you can convince the client, the one that's actually putting up the money and who's going to save the money, you know, to, to uh, I don't want to say enforce adoption, but certainly encourage adoption. No, but say. yeah, well, because they say, that's, you know, what needs to be adopted on on, on their construction yeah. projects. So. And, and this is this is what's going to help. And, and to support that in the first few projects that we're doing, we're uh, putting together a team that we will then seed into the client's team to understand their, their workflows, their KPIs, and to build out, uh, to build those workflows into the software so that they're not getting too far away from what they're doing already. You know, if you take a look at some of the design software, I mean, it's, it, it scares people to death. You know, when you look at it, you've got this sort of, you, you know, you've got the palette of all of these different, you know, buttons and lights and knobs and whatnot. And it's just, uh, I think we, I think as an industry, we could get a lot better at sort of streamlining the interfaces so that it doesn't scare people and so that they're much more willing to adopt it. Yeah, and that's that we call that those people are ICAST crew. So that you know, we put together an ICAST crew that's led by David that sort of goes in there and doesn't say to the customer, right, you need to chuck out everything the way you normally do it, but sort of understand the way they run their projects, what software they use, and sort of define. Uh, you know, the functional and non-functional requirements that they'd like to see um, mm -hmm. in, in the platform. And I think that is that really does go a long way in enforcing adoption of this. And, you know, to the customer that we're talking to right now, um, you know, David's sort of expertise in the industry and his ability to sort of help formulate a project methodology, if you will, you know, that can be rolled out across this portfolio of hospitals that they're building is hugely valuable to them and you know that's what they said to us they they love that they love that david will be able to help you know advise as to right this is what needs to be modularized this is what needs to be systemized you know in order to make our platform actually more mm -hmm. efficient and be able instead of tracking 100 things track 10 things you know and, um, and they'll have my mobile number as well by yeah the way. <laughs> I'm coming to Sub-Saharan Africa. <laughs> and I'm going to call you. And you're going to come along. Yeah, exactly. They're going to need houses as well. They're going to need a lot of houses. I Well, it was funny because uh, when I was first talking about this platform and how incredible it was, one of my favorite moments that I had with David and, and you, Maha, was why are you doing the most complicated building in the most complicated area? And of course, Maha is like, that's the whole point, that's <laughs> the most needed. And I'm like, well, uh, what if we use it in houses in the US? And you're like, well, I wanna stick to like, you know, 
solving problems that are like really significant in underdeveloped areas. And I'm like, oh, how about we just categorize the U.S. as an actual? <laughs> this is what That's right. I remember. When, I thought that was hilarious. That was so funny. I look at like you know some uh de some deserts in the in you know inner cities of our our, our Rochester, New York, and say we just build a house using this platform because I I think that we have kind of glazed over the fact that we've got a mobile platform that uh, has generative design built into it. So we can say how many rooms you need, what type of rooms those are, and you know what the specifications are for you know hallway width and and basically build an entire building in this in this platform and then have it kick out the information that you need to your project team and then keep the project team connected. And I thought that is what every construction site needs. Yeah, no, I, I mean, our, our go-to-market is healthcare because, you know, that's where our experience is. But certainly, I mean, we really do believe that if you can do this for health healthcare, it will be very much easier to roll it out in other sectors, you know, for, for the built environment. Yeah, and, and it's logical for healthcare as well. You, your room adjacencies are very well prescribed in healthcare. Um, the rooms that you need in any department that you have are, are very well prescribed. So it actually lends itself to, to generative design. And to digitization. The, yeah, yeah, to digitization, because yeah. the parameters are very clear. So it's, there's not a great deal that's down to preference. Yeah, so there's, I guess there's less choice, mm -hmm. you know, than residential or, or commercial. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what I've noticed about the, constru the construction tech environment is that when you're looking at some of the design solutions, they are not easy to use. If anybody, I mean, Revit was not adopted by the industry very quickly. And some would say it's still not because it's a, it's a difficult platform to learn. Many would say it's not intuitive, but then when you moved into like the construction tech that was uh, field construction solutions, like how do I manage my day-to-day -day operations more efficiently, those platforms I found very user-friendly, very intuitive, and they put a lot of effort into making sure that those in the field that are accustomed to an analog management are now doing it in a platform that, that makes it easier, more fun, more efficient, um, and so it drives people to use it. And what I loved about the platform that you had created was that it integrated both of those. The design piece was as intuitive to use as the actual management piece. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the first, like, yes, why yeah, don't we do yeah. this for everything? No, exactly. I mean, it's the, again, you know, David, as what you were saying earlier, Lindsay, um, David is very focused on making sure that the sort of dashboards and you know sort of the the user interface is something that will be very easy you know to use not with you know millions of sub menus and all of that and you know i think it's important to also understand when looking at the atlas platform we're not sort of reinventing the wheel here when it comes to point solutions right we're not trying to make up you know, a, make a, something better than Revit or something better than Unifier or better than, you know, P6. You know, we're taking sort of the best in class solutions that are out there, integrating them. But it's not just an integration process because as you 
you know, well know, there are different data formats, different file exchanges involved, and sort of they don't really speak to each other. And so, so it's that that's why that glue and translation layer, so that sort of system-wide language that we've created, the data schema and file exchange structure that makes everything talk together, basically speak the same language. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so it's, I think sometimes people think we're just sort of integrating software. That's what we're doing, or we're trying to reinvent sort of point solutions. And, you know, we're not doing either of those things. It is. And if um, if people wanted to see more about Atlas London, where do they go? How do they get in touch with you? How do they hear more about this very cool platform? <laughs> They just look up David on LinkedIn. <laughs> He's got a really nice profile picture. No, um, we've got a website. He's 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 the no, we, pretty we, one. We, we've got a we, we've got a website. It's got the videos uh, on on it. You Our website, a lot, lot of information. You can sort of um, you can get the gist of of what we do. Yeah, we've got a there. lot of videos actually on yeah. our website, but it's um, www.atlascontech. That's for construction tech. Dot com atlascontact.com and then i think on linkedin it's just atlas group london is um if you do a search for that and if someone us- wants to reach out to you on linkedin or any other social platform what are how do they find you um well uh i you mean our handle i don't know what our handle is on linkedin just maha harper david harper yeah, sorry david I harper, didn't, yeah, yeah. I didn't, I, d- I don't know. Is there a, like a special handle that we're supposed to know? Well, if you have Twitter or Instagram or if you're putting yes, it. Twitter, Twitter, I do have that. One second, I can tell you. The funny is that my UK friends are all very Twitter and I don't even have a Twitter account for my company. Yeah, we never used to have one, but then somebody said to me, you need to get one of these. I was like, all right, okay. Well, I um, like, cause you've been able to do, you've done a lot since we've met. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even when we were talking about um, as founders, how do you separate yourself out from this is your baby to what one of the one of the interviewees that um, Lance, our other co-host was saying is like, no, it's your asset. Like, stop looking at it like a baby. Like, you need to be way more critical about your this idea. Yeah. Than um, than you would about your child. <laughs> no, that's true. Actually, that's very yeah, true. Very, very, very true. Very, yeah. I never thought about that, but that is true. Yeah. So, how do you make this asset as uh, efficient and effective to the you know the end user and your customer? Um, and that's I would say every founder's uh, Achilles heel. <laughs> yeah. Or or have you know be a founder with your spouse, and then because then you're never afraid to tell each other actually what you <laughs> think, you know, and just say that is a terrible idea or that is brilliant yeah, and, and the customers keep you honest as well you know once you've had a few meetings with a customer you really get down to the nitty-gritty you really understand what issues they've had on previous projects the, you know the ones that they anticipate the ones that they can't tolerate anymore so that sort of governs uh, what, what you're uh, building what, what you're actually building you, yeah. you might have the the sort of the, the broad uh let's say functionality tied down but there are these very minute exchanges, bi-directional exchanges that yeah. just don't happen. And all of a sudden they can mushroom into something which is you know, affecting your job. No, and, and sometimes like David and I will have uh, you know, discussions about sort of which way we should go on X, Y, and Z. And at the end of the day, after we have our sort of you know, five hour discussions about it, we think, you know, at the, it doesn't matter what I think actually. And it doesn't really matter what you think. It, what, it's what the customer wants at the end of the mm-hmm. day. And that will sort of govern sort of how, how this is done. Yeah. 
And they yeah, want and to having people. this is why social media is helpful is because you can start getting that feedback with like driving to to you and hearing their the thoughts on that. And I thought that um that was some that was an aspect of the social media presence that I didn't predict is just having that like direct line of I get so many accolades and it feels so good to say, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, we're doing something really cool. I've been That's in a bucket and my head's been down like trying to solve this problem. <laughs> I love that. I've got, I've got our, our Twitter handle is at, at Atlas Group Lund One. I don't know why that is. L-O-N-D-1. Yeah, there, there you go. Thank you. And it's been wonderful having you on. And I've really enjoyed uh, building our friendship and really geeking out to uh, what construction. And I can say that the one thing you can always trust about your customer in the construction industry is they will not filter for feelings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those hard truths that this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> You're absolutely correct. I don't like where that button is. I'm never going to use Lindsay, you're definitely one of our favorite people to talk to uh, within the industry. So thank you so much for having us. As usual, time flies so fast. It does. And if uh, you would like to hear Inside the Firm is now on YouTube. Um, and you can subscribe for your chance to win Inside the Firm merch. And then anybody listening, if you enjoyed the show, leave a five-star review. It really does help us reach a broader audience. And if you're looking to find more on Inside the Firm content, uh, follow us on LinkedIn or Facebook at Inside the Firm or on Instagram at ITF Podcast. And I just wanted to thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Speak soon. Bye. Bye.